Welcome back to Simon and White, the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian White, and joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hey, Mark. All right, let's put on our our, our China hats, and, and yours is far more ex- extensive than mine since you lived in the region for many, many years, ran businesses there. Um, you know, this slow rolling and slowly accelerating real estate crisis seems to be, uh, as I say, accelerating. It doesn't seem to have an easy clear off-ramp. The latest uh, headline, if you will, is that private banks might be in trouble. People who don't have houses, uh, not surprisingly, don't want to pay mortgages on those houses. And it's not a liquidity issue so much that the government can solve by scarfing more money in these banks, but no one actually wants to take out loans and more importantly, to pay loans for real estate if the market there is frozen. And, you know, we've been sort of schooled so much that this is an export driven economy and it is, but um, it seems that a huge sort of second place to manufacturing and exporting is this real estate, real estate bubble, if you will, in China. Um, do you think this keeps on going? And do you think the Chinese are going to figure this one out anytime soon? No, I don't think they are. Um, you know, first of all, um, the old rule of China and most things is if someone says you're an expert in something, you're not. I know a little bit about China. I know more about Hong Kong and Taiwan and, and Philippines, maybe. But the fact of the matter is, it's a big country. And this is what people, and I know that sounds silly, it's a big country, but it's <laughs> 1.3 billion people, maybe 1.25 if you listen to certain people. But it's, it's, it's a big country, and it's got a lot of problems. And when they have a major problem, I just lose my mind when I hear these analysts come on going, well, you know, we can do this to fix that. This is not an aircraft carrier turning around. This is like the Death Star. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you you can't just wrote, you just can't say, okay, we're going to stop and go to the right. No, the mentality of China to when Deng Xiaoping told everybody to get rich, he basically said, buy real estate. Okay, that was the message. It was buy real estate, maybe buy some Rolexes, but real estate in China, in the Chinese mind. Real estate is wealth. Now, in the U.S., it's somewhat the same way as well, but we have stocks and bonds and everything else. But also in the U.S., we have a lot more confidence in our markets and our court system, things that real estate is what holds a lot of the Chinese economy together. It's collapsing. And that word is what I think applies. The market has been drifting and drifting and drifting and there's nothing to support it. The government throws out money here, they throw out money there in the billions, and it doesn't have any effect. They are powerless to stop these people who are refusing to pay their loans now. That's a growing story in China. People are saying, well, why should I put money in a declining asset? So I think what we have to understand is they are really in a bad way here. And while I would always like bad things to happen to the CCP, I think one of the problems that we're going to be facing is they may be looking to divert attention from this. But I have watched China for years. For year, I'm friends with Gordon Chang. Um, I'll use the Jimmy Lai line. Jimmy used to say, I predict Hong Kong, China is going to collapse all the time, and I'm wrong. No, I'm not predicting the collapse of the CCP. But I am predicting, and I believe it. You got to predict some predictions. I am. There's a major wealth decline happening in China, 
And I'm not sure the current leadership of the CCP with uh, Xi Jinping, who basically believes in import substitution, you know, he's that old, he, he's, he's that antiquated in his economic thinking. I do believe that basically they may not be capable of dealing with it. And there may be other elements in the CCP who recognize that as well. I'm thinking it'll stop him from getting a, uh, a new term in November because it's not going to happen and quick enough. But look, rising interest rates there are just going, are happening hard. And by the way, Hong Kong just said that they are now down officially 10% in, 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 their, in their real estate. That's actually pretty wow. big for Hong Kong because usually once it starts going down, the mainlanders jump in. And of course, the mainlanders are still coming in. But I don't know of many Hong Kong people who are buying Hong Kong real estate. I, I, I think their, 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 their faith in the Hong Kong market has been so shaken and then the system and the structure has been so shaken by this government. I don't think Beijing cares, but that, you know, they're not investing. And if your own people aren't investing, the mainlanders are going like, well, why aren't they investing? You know, and the mainlanders don't have any money. That's, I know that's very convoluted, but I would take away from this right now. I think the Chinese real estate market is really in the worst shape that I've seen it. I've done property deals up there a long time ago and I've had exposure to them. And I everybody I talk to is basically trying to get out. And, I, and that's, that's, that's maybe a dozen people in the last four months. They're all trying to get out. And they even call us and say, would you guys be interested in buying a hotel? <laughs> no, no. no. Comes, comes pre bug. <laughs> yeah, yeah pre bugs. Come up, and, come up, and we'll confiscate it from you. But seriously, I mean, I just don't, I just don't see it. And and I think the thing is, is that maybe this is a diatribe, not about how much I know about the the, the market, but it's a diatribe that's basically look. There's a lot of people out there who are basically talking a lot of bullshit you know, about how it's going to come back. They're real estate analysts or they're China, whatever it is. I'm telling you, this is, you know, the house is on fire here. You know, whether it burns to the ground or it basically burns out, that's it. But the firemen don't have any water. Well, going a little deeper. So Xi Jinping is up for his third term, which is preordained, as you point out. They're going into their commie party Congress, uh, what, next month or October. Yeah. Um and this is supposed to be uh, uh, sort of a graduation of sorts or a victory lap, uh, but he has serious trouble there. Um, Taiwan, I, I can't say that's going well for him. It seems like they've they found a path without overtly declaring independence of making more and more of the world realize that they're a different country. Um, they have increased their uh, defense budget from, um, albeit very a, a low level, but you know they're they're having. They're adding some real capabilities to make an invasion less than a certainty. Um, now, if you're Xi, you have to keep the people who put you in power happy. You can do fear for some of that. He, he dominates the MSS and other parts of the state apparatus, but there has to be some sugar in the equation somewhere. I mean, even in North Korea, they pay off the party officials at least once in a while. Um, and so is it real estate that gets that done one way or another? That's how through a variety of contracts that somehow cost more than they should and funds moving uh, with little parts disappearing for officials? Or are there other ways of essentially paying off the people who keep you in power if you're Xi? No, it's too big. It's just too big. That's, that's the problem. I mean, what's the saying in China, if you're in Guangzhou or <coughs> if you're up north in Xinjiang, the mountains is high, the emperor is far. 
you know, I mean, you, you know, I mean, let, let's let's face it. I mean, even places like Singapore have a difficult time, you know, when things go wrong, you know, a one stop mm -hmm. like country, as I call it. But the simple <laughs> fact of the matter is the simple fact of the matter is, is China is just too big. It's it's too many different economies. I mean, Guangzhou is really a separate economy from Shenzhen. I mean, sorry, from Shanghai. Shanghai is separate from Beijing, you know, out west and down south, down in the south, um, southwest. You know, it's a different, not a different economy, but it's not tied together. And there's different things going on. And they've got one other problem that everybody knows I like to talk about, and it's called demographics. Mm -hmm, yes. They are facing really, and I think it's coming to fruition now, I think the birth decline, when you look, really started in the late 90s. That's when we really started. Of course, the one-child policy was always there. But just this just this growing decline from, you know, 20 million babies a year all the way down. Well, well these people, this affects all the decision-making now. We have young women who don't want to have children. We have all these people. We'll probably, I, I'm predicting last year we were just over 11 about 11 million babies 10 and a half 11 million this year i predict we'll go single digit i think we'll go probably 9.8 9.7 million births that's a hard <laughs> one for them to fudge by the way that's just as the, the information comes in they're they are a declining society and i and I, I think that makes a lot of security implications maybe they have to move now before something else happens but there's no way I'm, I, I just i don't i don't see it I, I was. I hear people say they've got. Like I said, you've got to transfer and address this problem and address that problem. No, the world doesn't work like that. You know, you can't. You can't. It's 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 this giant planet of its own. You can't just say stop and let's go in the other direction. Like you know, lately they've been saying. I've been hearing these ridiculous things. China's going to really do this through tech investment. Really? <laughs> so you're shutting the country down. You're closing yourself off to the world. You know what I'm saying? And now you're going to basically be a high tech society. I don't think so. Yeah, especially if you're not a free society and you stifle sort of every creative impulse. Uh, it just doesn't lend itself toward that type of thinking, really. Um, speaking of stifling the truth, I remember you and I spoke when Alibaba went public and it was a little weird. I thought they were kind of going public on an ADR, if I'm recalling correctly, in the United States. Yeah. They're a mainland company and they had a Hong Kong audit. And even at that time, I said, can you trust the Hong Kong audit? Ordinarily, this is before Hong Kong was ruined. You could definitively trust a Hong Kong audit of a Hong Kong company or, uh, you know, the security yeah. that's backed by that company. And I think your comment time as well. The books will probably be right one time when they start. But, you know, after that, it's, it's unclear. Now, uh, there's an issue now, not just that Hong Kong is no longer independent from the mainland, but uh, whether or not we should trust the audits of mainland companies by mainland accounting firms. And this may be a firm that sounds familiar, it may have a Western name, but in fact, these accountants are Chinese working in China. Uh, and it's been a dispute over whether or not the working papers behind an audit are available to regulators. And, you know, needless to say, <laughs> a country, China, based on uh, lying and concealing information, again, talking here about the Chinese Communist Party, is, is not really been cooperative. So there is this risk that quite a large number of Chinese public companies would be delisted from U.S. exchanges because of this lack of agreement. Now, lo and behold, they reached an agreement uh, just before a sort of notional deadline to start delisting a lot of these companies. But there's less than meets the eye here, Mark. Is it there? Isn't there already a misunderstanding or a disagreement over what was agreed to? 
Yeah, I think we were talking earlier. I mean, I, I, I put the thing at two hours. I mean, this is your world. You know this better from, you know, your, you know, your big corporate background in terms of KPMG or, you know, whether PWC, you know, you, you know that, you know, when you have two documents and this party looks at this contract and this party looks at that contract, both of them need to read the same contract. Well, we wrote it here. The Chinese wrote it there. The Chinese translation from their Chinese document to ours is significantly different from what we then <laughs> look. This is just constantly and continually the hope beyond hopes of all the possibilities that there can always be by the people who earn money and make money on China. Um, quite frankly, there is no way the Chinese are going to give the CCP is going to give anybody access to these things. They fully intend the U.S. to fold. And the reason why they intend us to fold is because generally in the past we have. And, and in other words, they really believe, um, look, I'm, you know me, I'm not Mr. Mr. Trump's biggest fan all the time, but all of a sudden in 2017, they lost their minds because they met somebody who was saying no. Think of all the sophisticated, and this is bad shot, I know, sophisticated people who are like, oh, you know, we can do this and we can look at this. And you have to understand, no, they're communist. They basically want to take advantage of us. And we have a bunch of mokes who basically walk in there completely overeducated, uh, mm -hmm. completely too confident of themselves, and they get taken advantage of. This is really no different. I'll be perfectly honest with you. This is really no different than watching mobsters go to businesses in Manhattan or go to businesses and just say, give me your money. And the guy, well, you know, we can negotiate with you and talk with you. You can do whatever you want to do, but still give me your money. And the Chinese, <laughs> the Chinese, basically, they are, they are gonna, they don't care. They, I think Xi Jinping is absolutely fine with them walking out of the New York market. I don't think he cares. If you, he more and more, it's obvious he believes in import substitution, which, you know, is a, the, the socialist thing that we'll do it all ourselves. And I think, I think the only people trying to keep this alive are the fee based people and the hourly people who just want to keep it going and going and going. But it, it's, yeah. it's, it's over. And the good news is, the good news is basically the Chinese turned something out in about 20 hours or two days that basically blew this thing up in the eyes of a lot of people. And the good news is within two, two days after that, most people in the U.S. are calling BS. In other words, Mr. Gensler, who everybody thought was doing such a good job. Now, I, I think he did. I think he actually did negotiate the contract. And I think he walked out of there like everybody does with China, shook hands. Thank you very much. And I think then he got back and he read his email two days later. It was like, holy cow. You know, they have a different understanding than we have a different understanding. And then they'll go, oh, well, no, this is what we thought. And they just hope to paper it over. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a combination way. Of, it's just the way the commies do business. You know, right, the right. Church has learned that how many times? Everybody else has learned that all these times. They have a different yeah. viewpoint. Well, Whatever Murdoch tried to do business on the mainland, right? Yeah, Murdoch, 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 Murdoch got slaughtered. And, you know, everybody else. I mean, look, there was a time. Um, and I call it when George Bush was working with Carlisle, that you could go to China and you could get great assets really cheaply. Mm -hmm. That is over now. 
Okay. Right. And now they're coming out and they want to do things. Look at Huawei. Look at these companies. They just show up and it's amazing how they bold face lie to people. And I, I'm always just amazed, especially with Americans. Europeans are actually a little bit better. The Germans are just, you know, they're just creeps. But I mean, everybody's a little bit different, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, but the, the, but everybody's a little bit different. But Americans are like, oh, we wouldn't, we, we, you know, they're telling us a lie. But And there's like one drunk, I'm the drunk in the back of the room, or some of us are in the back of the room going like, you know, hey, the guy's lying to you. Oh, we, we wouldn't want to be rude. And, you know, we wouldn't want to offend somebody. And we wouldn't want to be accused of xenophobia. You know, no, I think people are people are starting to wake up and say, you know what, they're picking our pocket and we're getting tired of it. And also the Chinese are very good at fighting systems. That's the other thing, too. To the average person, this doesn't mean a whole lot. If there was a steel mill where people were losing jobs or certain things happening, the Chinese are very good at attacking systems. So, like, who really has something out here? We have to fight for the American people. Well, there's a guy sitting at the SEC who's negotiating this who goes, oh, I retire in three years. And if I can do some favors for my friends at Goldman Sachs, I'll go from, you know, this to that. You remember that there's a great TV show called Billions? And they and they they hire a guy like that. They basically bring, he's the toughest guy in the SEC there was. And then they tell him, well, we don't, ex we expect you to, you know, you know, basically, you know, get around this stuff. I, I just, I just feel that, I don't see I, the U.S. We look like idiots, but not mm -hmm. not not because not because we cut a deal, but because they broke the deal and then we're then we're letting them walk away from it. Right. I think I think the one thing that's going to happen here is um, if if Trump doesn't screw things up for the Republicans and, and they actually get back the House, I think this deal is dead. I think they'll tear it apart in five seconds. And the Democrats may tear it apart as well, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, good. It'll make it at least more expensive and more difficult for the Chinese to raise money on capital markets if they you know, don't have that automatic listing of the secondary uh, uh, offerings or you know, just stuff that's already issued and traded um, through an ADR here. So uh, a good step across the Taiwan Strait to the free and independent nation of Taiwan, which is different than China and which has never been under Beijing's rule in modern times. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. my loaded description of Taiwan. Um, you know, a couple of uh, interesting developments there. Uh, you know, the, the big story out of there, and I've been saying this is going to be boring very fast again, is semiconductors. And it's, it's, it's good in some senses. So the, the most advanced semiconductors, mm -hmm. the you know, fewest nanometers between uh, circuits is sort of a crude way, I guess, of measuring power, but made by companies like TSMC in Taiwan. It's dawned on people that if there's a war over Taiwan, that if you think there are problems with the supply chain now, just wait going to be a lot worse. On the other hand, uh, we do make semiconductors in this country for the longest time from about, oh, 1987 until last year, they were just boring hardware. The interesting stuff was happening in software. It was just presumed that uh, computing power would gradually increase or exponentially increase, if you believe. What is it? Moore's Law, something like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we passed a big bill. What We subsidized semiconductors in this country now, $50 billion. Of course, we had to pay $300 billion extra in payola. That's going to other pork to get that out of Congress. Uh, you even had some people like T.J. Rogers, the way previously of Cypress Semiconductor, saying, no, the industry does not need this as corporate welfare. It will actually make things worse in the long run. Um, I don't know. Is, is, is Taiwan sort of sticking its neck out awfully far or putting a lot of cards on um, uh, one hand here that's, um, that's just going to be boring again? Um, 
I don't know, Chris. I mean, you 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 know Taiwan as well as anybody. I mean, does does Taiwan have some special advantage in making semiconductors that the rest of the world doesn't have? That's, I mean, yeah, that's a great question. With I, mean, uh, you know, know, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see where it is. I mean, I, I would, if somebody said to me tomorrow, I want you to build a Taiwan uh, a semiconductor plant, I wouldn't choose Taiwan. I would choose maybe even Penang, or I would probably not choose there. I'd probably look for Mexico or you know some other place. I might even go down to Argentina to be honest with you, or someplace like that. Um, but uh, I, I have to say that. I think the argument that somehow that the global supply chain in Taiwan is so valuable because of chips and that everything will collapse if Taiwan goes down. That's not the argument I would hang my hat if I was Taiwan. Yeah. Um, I do not see the chip issue as being a big problem. Somebody sent me something the other day that said the U.S. Army had been buying washing machines and tearing them apart to get some of the chips they needed for a certain a certain <laughs> product they have and I, I i checked it out and the guy said well he goes i think that was some type of experiment a while ago that somebody just made up it was but, their secret weather machine actually yeah yeah mm -hmm. so i mean i I, I, <laughs> I tend to i tend to believe that uh i tend to believe very strongly that taiwan is valuable in its own right because of its strategic positioning but the semiconductor stuff, I mean, look, I've smoked cigars and I've, I'm in Taiwan. I know guys from all those companies, you know, you know, you, you see, I mean, play them in the stock market because that's what everybody does. I don't do it anymore. I haven't done it the last couple of years because it's just, it's, it's, it's a pain in the butt following them. But I got to tell you something. I, I, I think the Chi Taiwanese are coming to the United States largely because they need labor and they also need, they want to be closer to their market. Mm -hmm. And they want to be closer to the talent because the talent. You're talking about uh, TSMC putting a plant into Arizona. Right? TSMC yeah. putting a plant there. There's a couple of them coming in there. Micros mm -hmm. are all coming in, mm -hmm. and 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 that's why it gets to that whole fifty million dollars. I don't want to go off on a rant, but you know, when I was out there, I was like, I mean, fifty billion dollars. It was really funny. There was like fifty billion dollars was promised, and then there was a study that came out the next day that said thirty billion dollars will be spent in the next two years in pure research by semiconductor companies. And we're giving them fifty billion dollars. And part of that fifty billion dollars we're giving them, I'm not kidding you, it's to build roads that lead into the power plant. <laughs> they were putting money down for paving companies and stuff like that, you know. I mean, but the That's thing the is business to be in. Paving. No about it. I'm telling you. But digging holes, getting paid by the government to fill them in. But the thing is, is that I do believe, I, I really believe that, you know, semiconductors, um, the idea that that everything falls apart because we don't have semiconductors is, is, is incorrect. You know, it's like the auto companies and all these things. Oh, they're not delivering this or not delivering that. Semiconductor became the biggest excuse for any manager you know, I was waiting for my chefs at the Thai restaurant to go, no semiconductors. That's why they're, you know, we can't do this food today or something like that. It's really ridiculous. And, and I, I think, look, it's a problem. I know it's a problem. I am in Taiwan. I promise you, I smoke cigars with two guys who are in these companies, two guys who, if they tell you what's going on, it's what's going on. TMSC and these guys are running full steam ahead. They're moving stuff out. They're getting it out there. It's all types of different things. 
And, and every time some guy in a think tank, they pick semiconductors based on the fact that none of us know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like oh, they pick just like the semiconductor threat from Taiwan. And it's like, they don't even know what a semiconductor, they don't even know what a chip <laughs> looks like. You can right. put your phone card in front of them and they think that's a chip. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. It gets absurd and I, I just, whatever, you know. Right. Well, by the time, yeah, politicians are talking about it and subsidizing it, it's, I mean, it's probably. I, I, I want to ask you what you think of freedom of navigation ops in Taiwan. What are you, <laughs> you just, yeah, well, we also talked about that earlier. You know, I, I said repeatedly, yeah, I like Teddy Roosevelt's idea of speak softly and carry a big stick. So have a reticent foreign policy. Don't preach to people. Don't hang rainbow flags from embassies, which is a political um, message and kind of an in your face one. And also, unlike the flag of the United States, which represents all Americans, it only represents some. Um, you know, it, what we're doing around the world with this preachy democracy stuff, and I, hey, was a, I got into government, was a human rights and democracy guy, I worked on North Korean human rights, uh, but it's gone too far. It's diverged too much from national interest. And it's the same with the military part too, I think. Rather than have these freedom of navigation ops where we send a single BERT class destroyer, which granted is a, is a uh, you know, for inch for inch is a pretty formidable conventional weapon system, maybe a little vulnerable if you put it in the Taiwan Strait, but uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? You're gonna, you're gonna attack China with that? Are you going to invade China with a couple hundred guys of ship's company? Um, rather than this sort of in your face uh, stuff, I think the idea would be focus on the capability. Uh, Beijing may outwardly be, say they're pissed off about a destroyer going through the Taiwan Strait. They would be more pissed off, but quiet, if they knew we had four or five uh, new, what is it, Columbia class, uh, or excuse me, Virginia class nuclear attack submarines just lurking out there uh, in order to contain China, if God forbid that ever became necessary in a military point of view. So I don't know, you know, it's one thing if you're Gaddafi and it's 1985 and he says he has some yeah. line of death that extends way out in the Mediterranean and Ronald Reagan sends some carriers to uh, prove that the line of death is a line of nothing. But dealing with China, dealing with Russia, that's another thing. We do these freedom of operation, <laughs> freedom of navigation things in the Black Sea. Uh, the Black Sea is governed by this thing called the Treaty of Montreux from the yeah. 30s. If you're not a Black Sea state, which includes us, strict limits on what you can put in there. You cannot put an aircraft carrier in, you cannot put a submarine in, just some small surface combatants. If you're Russia, and you are a Black Sea state, you can put pretty much anything, there's some restrictions. So yeah. the idea that we're accomplishing anything by sending a Tyco cruiser or a Burke destroyer through and sailing 12 miles off the coast of Russia where at will, any set of planes, shipborne missiles, sea-based missiles can wipe this thing out. Uh, it's just, you know, it's more just sort of poking people. What yeah, do you I think, though? No, I, that's actually really correct. And I'm glad you brought up the Black Sea because I used to support that when I was in the Navy. And it was like, well, what are you doing? Well, if they fire, you know, it's just like basically, you know, get them a can you get hotel rooms for the guys <laughs> in some, you know, someplace when they, after they, they, they can Swim you give them 20 minutes before you sink the ship so they know what's coming? You're, you're, it's like going into a guy's pond and, say, you know, he's got guns all around you and say, you know, hey, we're here. I don't believe in the freedom of navigation ops for one reason. I believe you only go in there when you've got like pirates or somebody trying to stop you from doing something. The Chinese are not trying to stop anybody from going up and down the basically straits. In other words, let them run their mouths all day long. It's just like your neighbor who tells you that, hey, I own your, uh, I own that piece of land over there. 
but yet you're still parking your cars and you've got anything. You've got the deed. You've got all the legal rights. The courts, you know, are on your side. Why did you go over and like ride around in front of that on that piece of land in front of your neighbor's, your, you know, your neighbor's house? If he comes over and takes some of the land, you do something. But other like than that, ignore him. To me, when the Chinese are making this statement it, that it's theirs, we just don't have to do it. And I really, if I go back, freedom of navigation ops really in that place didn't happen too often if they were even called that before that Clinton put the carriers in there, you know, sent them down there. And that was just intimidation. That wasn't freedom of navigation. That was like basically we'll defend Taiwan. Right. And I guess that's what that's what they say we're doing here. I'm with you. Um, I think the thing is the Chinese look at Taiwan. And they 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 uh, wonder how they're going to take it. Uh, if you get a couple of uh, not only the Virginia class, but those uh, those Michigan and Ohio SSGNs with 148 Tomahawk missiles sitting there. You know, if you put two more of those out there and two or three more Virginia class submarines, which the Chinese cannot deal with. They're not sending ships across that strait, you know, because the one thing is I remember everybody's going like when, when Pelosi was there and they were firing missiles after she left. They have now they have now shot over. They've shot missiles over the Taiwan Islands. And I'm thinking to myself and a lot of Navy guys, and like, well, if you shoot one way over Taiwan, we can shoot the other way over Taiwan. <laughs> in, other words, in other words, they all they did was prove was all they did was prove was sitting on the other side of Taiwan the Chinese aren't going to be able to do a damn thing. You know, in other words, the, the U.S. can basically sit over there and almost, I mean, with that, you know, of course, maybe they can put a nuke or something over there, to, but we're not going to have carriers sitting over. The biggest thing we're going to have sitting over there is going to be an Arleigh Burke. But most of it's going to be submarines that are going to just come up and the Chinese can't stop doing anything about that. But the real thing for me is with these fawn ops is, look, just cruise around. Don't make a big deal out of it all the time. In re, in fairness, you didn't see the Chinese say too much about it this time. In other words, I believe if the U.S. wouldn't have said anything, the Chinese wouldn't have said anything. Mm-hmm. I yeah, really believe. Skip the press I think they're looking. I think they're looking to take the temperature down. And in all seriousness, I think the one thing that Pelosi did, lightning should not strike me here. But what Pelosi did was. When the Chinese started huffing and puffing, I got my little thing behind me with the thing. When they started huffing, my little picture behind me, when they started <laughs> huffing and puffing, guess what? They found out they couldn't blow the house down. I mean, that's really was the result of Pelosi's trip. Like, okay, now they're going to do, and then the New York Times is going to say, now we're going to do a blockade. Well, the New York Times graphic was like how they will do a blockade. Wrong graphic. It should be the graphic that says how difficult it is to do a blockade, incredibly difficult to do a blockade. All right. And then the next thing was the next one, the next one was, well, then they're going to attack it and blow them up with missiles. That's true. That is the one that worries me. They just decide to rain missiles for three days down on Taiwan, but then they still don't take Taiwan. And after right. killing 40,000 people, do you think the U S and Japan are really going to sit beside that on that one? That's even when other Southeast Asian nations may come up for that one. You know what I'm saying? Because then yeah. they all see it. Because what people don't understand with that one, just real quick before I get up, what people don't understand that one is, is that's just wanton killing. Yeah. And that, that and and that's like they become they become I hate to use a Tolkien reference, but they become the Borg. They become nothing. The Borg is Star Trek. They become orcs. Then they just come out and just kill. 
And so then they go down to the Philippines and say, we want this in the Philippines. If you don't give it to us, we're just going to bomb Manila. If you don't give us this down in Indonesia, we're just going to take it in Indonesia. You know, we're just going to bomb you until you give. That becomes their, their military theory. And I think a lot of people are worried about that. Yeah. In other words, they don't really have good solutions. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned Southeast Asia. Maybe we can close out on, on the issue of um, Singapore turning south. And of course, uh, you know, they're sort of interesting and our security partner, but an awful lot of investment in China. Um, you know, people talk about a Bretton Woods uh, two or three, I guess it would be three because Bretton Woods collapsed, creating Bretton two and now three. It seems like a lot is changing in the world with finance. Europe is going into a winter. It's going to be a terrible winter for them. Energy yeah. costs are through the roof. They're going to be energy shortages. They are completely unprepared. Um, they have believed their own propaganda. It's just unbelievable. Uh, they don't care seemingly that they are inflicting poverty on their own people. Uh, Europe is, and we'll see how the United States comes out of this, but Europe in particular is losing altitude in economic and military significance and the South is gaining it. And you have Dubai and Singapore seemingly uh, with the decline of Hong Kong, who knows what's going on with New York, um, but really the main benefactors is what of, of the exodus in particular from Hong Kong. None of those jobs went to Tokyo. None of them went to Taipei, unfortunately. All of them go to Singapore. Singapore just said you can move there and get a five-year visa uh, if you make roughly 220 plus thousand bucks a year. That number's not quite right, but right around there. Sort of interesting. They'll say they'll waive that, that income requirement if you're in certain um, lower income fields, athletic sports, et cetera, art, et cetera. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Is that a good move? Is that sort of continue this idea that you're building this global city in Singapore? Or is it kind of uh, an arrogant the move? Singapore is just, they're, they're running out of space. They may have to go cut a deal for some more space. They're just getting very expensive in Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, I think Singapore also is going to have to come to grips with their legal system. It's a very good commercial legal system, but they're going to have to do some. But no, look, this is the point. The point is, is that when you look at places like Dubai, um, when you look at places like uh, uh, Singapore, that is where global capital is fleeing to. It is fleeing to places that basically they feel they can at least operate from. And so the Singaporeans, when they tell you, all right, you make two and a quarter, you know, come on down and, uh, you know, we'll give you a free visa. They're now basically saying we don't want poor people except for the ones we bring in to service the rich people. But this is this is a situation that is going to continue for a while. And the saddest thing is, you know, really, um, I wrote a column years, a few years back, how, you know, Xi Jinping and it was before Trump, actually, how Xi Jinping was going to make, um, um, you know, and, and Carrie Lam were going to make New York prosperous again. The problem is, is New York's not going to do anything to get that business back. So I right. just I just really believe and I, I firmly see that. You know, people are going to continue to go where capital is welcome and capital is welcome in Singapore. It's welcome in uh, in uh, uh, Dubai. It's also somewhat work welcome in London. I'll be fair to the London. You know what I'm saying? And on, and then you're going to get to the places where people just kind of fall back to, which is going to be New York and Tokyo and a few other places. But no, nobody's going to nobody's going to Taipei and Taipei doesn't make anybody welcome. So why would they why would they go? You know? Um, but I, 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 I do think that Southeast Asia, uh, we'll see what happens, but I think we're going to see them more and more pulling away from China and, and pulling, um, not moving necessarily closer to the U S 
but becoming their own economic center in their own way. It's going to be really, really fascinating to see. Yeah, uh, that plus, you know, India with its uh, somewhat independent, uh, well, completely independent foreign policy in the Mideast, the Gulfies taking essentially an independent foreign policy. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, look, you know, I, I, I heard the other day a guy told me, he said, I said, how's business? He goes, lots of Russians in Singapore. You know, because that's where they're putting their money. I mean, you look, you know, we're, what's what's is oil back to $100 a day or something like that? It's close to it. Yeah, certainly Brent is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like these guys are making all this money. They're putting it away. I mean, you know, it's well, great. You know, this whole this whole green energy thing has led to one of the greatest wealth transfers in time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I told somebody I'm convinced that some of the oil companies are behind them because my, that'll be my favorite conspiracy theory that I know is nuts. But, you know, why not? <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is that, no, really, I, I just I think you're going to see money continue to flow. And it's going to be once it goes out too. that's the funniest thing about this. It's going to be hard. And then the final thing I'll leave you with. The funny thing about this is people in the U.S., especially in the Democrats and on the left, think somehow, oh, we can go out and get this. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody plays ball with the U.S. and the world is a bigger, bigger place now. You don't need to play ball with the U.S. anymore. It's right. not necessary especially with investing and money management and all these things. All right, you're not in the U.S. markets. That's fine. I'll live. You know. Right. No, we've managed potentially to kill the goose that laid the golden egg, which yeah, is uh, really you know, yeah. king dollar and the investment climate here. Hopefully it, uh, we yeah. see some change. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Simon White. And if you like us, please subscribe, like us on YouTube, and leave us a positive review on Apple. We'll see you again soon with another edition. Thanks.